Hi, this is Smriti Kirvanandan, your host for Health Forward Podcast. One of the most important things you can do for yourself is to take care of your health. Your road to discovering an all-inclusive, empathetic, and innovative healthcare ecosystem starts right now. Our guest for today is Stuart Gilchrist, who's a global managing partner for healthcare and life sciences at Tara Consultancy Services. Thank you so much, Sammy and Kevin. I'm actually quite honored and excited to be the first guest on the program and am looking forward to our discussion as well as uh, some of the discussions that follow with other guests. So thanks for having me. Wonderful. That's great. You know, before we jump in into this episode, which is focused on the power of digital transformation, we'd love to hear from you, Stuart. What brought you into healthcare? Gosh, well, you know, it's been quite a long time, but I, I can tell you a few things. It was almost by accident. I got started in healthcare 37 years ago in consulting. It was the first industry I worked in, and it somehow kind of stuck with me. I, I worked across payers, providers, pharmacy benefit managers, distributors, life science companies. And once you kind of get a taste of the industry as a consultant and you see the problems and or opportunities that need to be fixed, you kind of get drawn in and want to have an impact and want to drive through change. And so once I kind of got into it, I've really never looked back and thought about working in other industries at all. Too many things to work on in healthcare. So 37 years, that's a long time. Congratulations. You have witnessed, I imagine, a lot of changes. Talk to us about that. I'd be happy to. And, And it is a long time, but an interesting kind of construct for me is I actually tried Kevin and, and Sammy to stop. And what I realized was the same problems we saw 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago still persist today. It's always been about cost, quality, access, uh, understanding, confusion, et cetera. And I could even show you presentations from 35 years ago. If I pulled it out today and presented it, you'd say, yeah, that's our problem today. I would say, no, this was 1985. Uh, we still have those problems. So what what's different though today is I've been trying to fix working with many others, trying to fix healthcare for this long. And finally, I'm starting to see some of the breakthrough opportunities that might actually bring about the change we've been seeking, the transformation we're looking for that we just haven't been able to do in the past. And I guess it's maybe people are really starting to finally get it that where we need to focus our energy, how we need to work together collaboratively, and it's really not just about a lot of it's deal with technology. Is technology going to fix healthcare? No, it's really a matter of mindset and framing of the problem statement. And then it's the convergence of thought, focus, behavior, and technology that's really going to bring about the transformation. And so the reason I didn't stop was sort of twofold. One is I never fixed it. But second, now I finally see it could really start to happen. And I think probably the, the pivot started about four or five years ago. Still a lot of work to do, but I'm finally seeing that progress. What had to come together to make it work now or change now? Well, you know, some people might say, was it the pandemic? I do think that was a, a lot of fuel to the, to the situation that started. But I think what happened is people started to realize that there's this shift toward wellness was one element of it. Then there was a bit of a a realization that if we really want to solve problems, we have to center around the patient and we have to do it in this collaborative way, not a a competitive way and across traditional boundaries. And when those things came together, as well as 
rewarding the right behaviors. And that gets into compensation and payment models as well. When all that started to kind of converge and come together, you could start to see people look at the problem differently, define the problem differently, and start to solve it in different ways. Then think about digital and other technologies coming to play. They become the enablers of some of it, but it all had to kind of converge at the same time in my view. Yeah, that's fascinating. So initially I was kind of disturbed when you said nothing has changed in 35, 37 years. <laughs> but now I feel like I'm the right, right business and I feel, oh, that's good to know. So the next follow-up question is, of course, well, how do you see the role of human-centered design in healthcare? So you know, a lot of people talk about patients in the center mm-hmm. of the body-based care. What are your reflections in that perspective? Well, a few thoughts on human-centered design, but let me qualify one thing on, on things changing or not changing. Because while we face a lot of the same challenges, you can't deny there's been incredible advances in medicine and medical technologies and therapeutics and other things that have advanced and help us live healthier, better lives. Uh, unfortunately, cost access and quality kind of persisted through all that. But but I think flashing forward again into human-centered design, you know, to me, this is really part of the breakthrough solution because it really allows us to start thinking about the problems entirely from a patient perspective and what's wrong with the experiences they have that make them so complicated and difficult. From this lens, we can really see where the changes need to be made beyond just the design of the patient or user experience, but really how and where we might influence product design itself. And and when I say product design, the way we structure the health insurance products, the way we structure engagement with individuals, the way we structure focus and energy around rewarding, not just providing health care, but working towards wellness and well-being. So the human-centered design construct gets beyond just thinking about cost. If we fix the human experience through the product design and structures, coming with it will be improvements in cost to, to healthcare. Coming with it will be transparency. Coming with it will be access and more. So do you think in the digital transformations as they're accelerating today, what are some leading edge organizations investing in today that others aren't in your Well, you know, everybody's sort of in the digital chase. And so it's hard to say they're investing that others aren't. What I would say is the differences that I see is thinking about what it means from the digital core working through this patient experience, which involves communicating earlier, communicating with more insight and communicating on the customer terms, when, where, and how they'd like to communicate. So That probably goes back a little bit to your question about human-centered design as well. And so in today's world, companies that are thinking forward at the very early stages of interaction with their customers or patients or members and using that customer experience, all the major touch points that affect that promoter score, the moments that matter, if they think about it from that construct and those customer journeys then they think about where to infuse digital capabilities. That's when they start to think about it differently. So they're all, it's hard to find someone who's not investing in AI and analytics and migration to the cloud and other digital customer experiences. But the ones that are having the the most material impacts are the ones that do it from a patient centricity or customer centricity view. Companies make sense. I do have a follow-up question on that. Do you think... uh... In your uh, experience, looking at you know different population, 
How do we address digital divide when it comes to vulnerable communities? Because, you know, healthcare for them is uh, critical as well. Well, that's a, a, a terrific question. And it, and it starts in a place that you may not think that it does. But in many ways, it's a recognition that social determinants of health are a lot about what matters in, in driving a healthier population. But even if you don't get caught up in the, the language and the terminology and, and push on social determinants of health, if you just think in a more simple construct of we need to change the conversation from healthcare to wellness. And when the conversation is around wellness and you think about all the things we can do and should be doing to help people stay well, whether it's better access to food and nutrition, whether it's better access to um, exercise, whether it's financial means to better enable these things. What, what you start to realize is just by trying to help address well-being, you have to start addressing social determinants of health. So think about what keeps you well or your friends well or others well in your family and who doesn't have access to those things and who doesn't get what they need to maintain that. Again, if, if we had a much healthier population by focusing on wellness, we'll spend a lot less time and less money addressing the health care for the non-healthy. Some situations certainly are not avoidable, but many might be and, and could be. Just to wellness and well-being, a lot of it will take care of itself. Thanks for that, Stuart. Let's look at innovations. What are some mm -hmm. of the most interesting innovations that you're kind of tracking in healthcare right now? Well, so interesting is an interesting term in and of itself, right? Because there are some innovations that are interesting to me, not that they're exciting or different, but because they focus on some of the root cause problems with our system, which come down to just needing to drive behavioral change. And it, and it doesn't have to necessarily be slick or exciting to, to drive behavioral change. I mean, payment structures, for example, and who's responsible uh, paying for outcomes instead of paying for services. Reward mechanisms that um, incent people to act differently and behave differently in, in their lifestyle choices. A lot of the things going on there um, aren't necessarily exciting, but addressing and driving behavioral change doesn't have to be exciting. The outcomes we might achieve as a result are exciting. Um, so in one dimension, I think those are necessary and important. And there's companies that are not necessarily highly complex, but are doing these little but highly important things. Where I get excited when I think about innovations are around this recognition of what I will call uh, a broader data set. I, I refer to it as patient-generated health data. Uh, we've traditionally managed the healthcare system looking at medical records and looking at claims. And quite you know, honestly, in reality, those are all lagging indicators of health, right? So you spent money on healthcare services, you had a claim because you had a health issue. If we pivot and we think about um, this idea of wellness and well-being, what we really need to be doing is capturing a more broad and inclusive set of health information, patient-generated health data. You know, 99% of healthcare happens between doctor's visits or between hospital visits. It's what's going on um, in your life and in your actions um, between those visits. And what's exciting is partly the fact that people kind of get it now, right? We need to understand what's going on between those appointments and that there are many tools that will help capture that information, allow patients to report it. And, and why it's so important is if we know what's going on between appointments, then we have a better chance to use technologies like AI, use predictive analytics, use other 
um, mechanisms to identify when someone might need an intervention and when to engage with them so that they might avoid a hospital visit or avoid an ER visit. And so they, the innovations that are helping capture that information that patients are willing to share and our customers are willing to share is part of managing wellness and well-being, part of avoiding that downstream cost. And there's a tremendous amount of venture capital and proof points in cases that demonstrate that it really is starting to work and that there's ways to do this. Uh, at the end of the day, this all gets back to patient or member centricity as the center, center point of fixing the system, focusing on health and wellness. Is healthcare more advanced than, than a lot of industries or is it being held back because of you know, the, the need for regulatory approvals and compliances? How does it fit in there if, it, if you compare it with other industries? You know, it's, it's interesting. There's places that are ahead. There's places that are behind and, and some that are sort of in the middle. Where I would say healthcare is ahead is some of the amazing science and technology that goes behind patient care, patient treatment, records and formats and interfaces and data exchanges. It, it, it's rapidly improving, but it's still behind industries, let's say, like financial services. And probably the lagging, and unfortunately, is, is customer experience in and of itself. You know, the, you know, our medical community, whether it's the clinical side or whether it's the insurance side or, or what have you, have tremendous opportunities to enhance patient or customer experience. And if you look at the companies that are best at that, they might be in retail services, for example, or hospitality. Um, so I think a lot of health organizations are turning to those industries to say, how do I improve my overall customer patient experience by adopting some of those models. And I think, I, again, I think they are making good progress. What, one thing to keep in mind um, in all respect to everybody in healthcare, um, having worked in the industry a long time, is while we want to adopt some of those customer interaction models, everything going on behind the scenes in healthcare is so complex. And we're also dealing with people in times of what might be difficult need. So it's it's hard to simply say, well, just go do it like this health retailer does or do it like this hotel chain. Um, we have to appreciate the nature of the patient interaction that we're dealing with uh, to recognize it. But that said, I, I do think customer patient experience is an area with tremendous opportunity, tremendous lift and a way and a necessary means to get to this next generation of health and well-being. Yeah, so I think there are some excellent points, pointers to it, where I see retail mm -hmm. is picking up health and healthcare is picking up retail. But mm -hmm. I think, as you mentioned, we should not forget that the difference is that healthcare, we are managing lives of people, while all other industries are just managing you know, products and services. But we find the perfect Absolutely. protection and know what are the good ones to take and have an organizational mind shift. I think the adoption would be much faster. Mm -hmm. So that brings me to the question, what are the challenges you see in the space of innovation for healthcare other than adoption, I would say? So, so a great question. So there's a few things. And the good news is, is I think we're seeing progress on a number of these. So, so one is this recognition that um, managing health and wellness is broader than just healthcare. It's the health and it's the well-being stuff we talked about before. Um, it's the acceptance that there is this broader data set of information that needs to be captured and managed and maintained and utilized for productive purposes, engagement purposes, that's much broader than what we've traditionally been working with. Good progress there as well. Um, the next piece then really is collaboration in this new patient-centric world 
in a way that recognizes we all, regardless of what entity are, we might come from, are all working towards the same outcome. So we need to think about the way we're each trying to engage the patient and understand the potential unintended consequences of confusing patients or members at, at the same time. So if I were to give you an example, you think about your healthcare experience, if you take a medication therapy or a, a pharmaceutical medication, one of the things that's really important is to make sure you adhere to that and you take it if it's a routine medication. Well, who do you think is responsible for making sure you take your medication on a regular basis? Is it your payer? Is it your provider? Is it your pharmacy benefit manager? Is it your pharmacist? Is it your health coach? Is it your lifestyle coach? Is it your fitness advisor? Um, they all think they're the one and they all try to, which is great, but um, medication adherence to the patient, wouldn't it be ideal if you had one primary go-to source to advise you on that? That's just one simple example of where multiple entities trying to do the right thing might lead to patient confusion or might lead to unnecessary interactions if somebody has it covered. So we have to think about all the different um, member touch points, moments that matter, and not just how we, whether we sit in a clinical organization or we sit in a payer organization, or we sit in a pharmacy, how we interact with that patient, but we have to do it with this point of view of who else is trying to reach out as well. And I think that is probably one of the barriers that on the, the size side of, uh, you know, cost quality, understandability or confusion, it, it fixes that kind of last section and category, but we still have work to do on that one. Yeah, I think making healthcare uh, simple is the biggest challenge. Absolutely, it's a challenge still. Are there any innovations you're seeing that will disrupt the space for traditional healthcare other than you know, going paperless to digital uh, transformation? Yeah, well, the ones that get, you know, I've, I've dabbled in the side with some interesting startups. So it, it uh, it's intriguing. And on, on the one hand, you know, the simplicity of some getting excited, as I mentioned before, but probably what I really um, feel might be the most impactful changes are, are some of the things that are coming about that I don't, that I understand the science behind it. But um, for me, a lot of this kind of comes into play. If you look at things like sensors and sensors have been emerging and growing in every facet of society for the last two decades um, in a lot of different ways. But what's happening in healthcare is, you know, the, the first stage was the ability to measure certain vitals in certain ways through certain devices placed in or around or on the human body in certain ways. Well, now suddenly there's sensors that can, in an ambient way, monitor. It used to just be physical movement. So, boy, is that person sitting still too long in an unusual place? And you do pattern detection and analysis and because you have a camera on them and watching them. Well, now there are devices that even I'm starting to hear can measure your temperature, but they don't have to be on your body. Uh, they can be in multiple rooms or they can measure respiration rates or they can measure heart rates. And and when we get to a point where and, and we think about this because of the huge shift in changing care settings, right, in home health care and, and such and the, the growth in our population that needs some form of monitoring. And if you can imagine that many types of monitoring devices that had to somehow physically touch and be on the body now can simply be about the home setting and that we can, in a less intrusive way, actually know much more about how you're doing and detect patterns or abnormalities or things that are of concern, 
then we can predict, then we can intervene, then we can avoid adverse consequences and outcomes that otherwise we couldn't in, in the past. And with the pivots we're seeing in population, changing care settings, and what we need in the healthcare community, these become hugely important. So that, so I would say sensors is one of the innovations that I, I remain very excited about. Uh, another one is VR and the use of VR in techniques around things like behavior and mental health and well-being. Um, on one hand, to help coach, and there's um, a lot of clinical studies that show that this type of technology intervention can be quite helpful. Um, the other thing around VR is, and, and it's it could be for loneliness as well and isolation and interactions there. So, so you take VR, you take these sensors and, and monitors, um, add in robotics, and I'm assuming you have an, an interest and background in robotics, and and you think about the services that can be performed through an intelligent robotic forms. Some might be you know, comfortable with that. Others might be less comfortable. I, I think there's a human-centered design element of, of how we use robotics as well that um, needs to be seriously thought, thought through, just like there's serious things to think through, of course, with AI as well. Um, but they're all exciting and at the end of the day can have some tremendous breakthroughs. And, and the beauty of it is, and, and what really is, is interesting to me is if you look at some of the innovators behind these products and services, there are people that long ago could have said, I'm done. I've been doing this for many, many years. I've been trying to fix the problem. Uh, most of them probably don't even need to be working, but they're still at it. They're still doing it. They see the promise, the value, the potential that's out there for us to solve these problems. And they keep putting time and energy and capital into inventing and creating, which if you've been in the industry a long time and you're trying to fix it and you see there are others who've been around just as long or longer than you, and they're also still working at it. They must see something's going to break through, right? That we're going to get the change. We're going to, we're going to get the results that we've all been looking for. And I can tell you, I watch people that not everybody who's an innovator means that they're a young 18 to 23 year old who's changing the world through technologies that old people like me don't understand. Um, a lot of these innovators are people that have been at it longer than I've been at it. And they just have a passion. They have a purpose and they're making things happen. And it's hard to ever say, well, I could stop now if they're not stopping. Not, not that I'm having any, anywhere near the impact some of these people that, that I would call role models, but they yeah. certainly make us all aspire to do more. And that keeps me in the game. Humble, but I think uh, one of the common threads we're seeing in all these innovators is that uh -huh. making healthcare more proactive than reactive. Yep. I think that's the common yep. thread, and that's fascinating. But that brings us to mm -hmm. our last question. We, sure. If we look into the future, five years, how do you imagine healthcare will look different five years from now? Well, the, the, the first way I imagine it's going to look different is, is we will actually have had that breakthrough. And I, and I honestly think think so because of some of the things that I, that I talked about before. It's this focus on wellness. It's a focus on behavioral. It's a recognition of changing care settings. It's a recognition of the cognitive capabilities that can help us be smarter. And it's collaboration. Those themes, those trends are going to continue very aggressively. And as a result, to keep it simple, we're going to be rewarding the right behaviors. So people will behave differently. We're going to put the customer at the center. Um, we're going to see the correlation and the results that it drives of, of 
tying mental and behavioral to physical health. We're going to pivot our focus to wellness. And at the end of the day, for the first time, all those charts that show that steady increase of healthcare cost and that show that um, among industries, healthcare ranks 17th behind everybody else in terms of um, customer experience, we're actually going to see it move up the curve. And it's because it's going to be defined not by the eight trillion globally spent on healthcare, but the four trillion globally spent on wellness is going to bring down, at least on a per capita basis, that spend. So suddenly people are going to say, wow, we really did not just slow the rate of healthcare spending growth, but we actually bent that curve. Uh, so I, I bend in the cost curve, people that will understand a more simplified system is, is where we'll be and, and people I don't know. I think I think we're going to see a transformational change to keep it simple um, in in what we have in healthcare 2027 versus what we had in healthcare 2022. Sure. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Kevin, and see me. And I, I think the other thing about what we'll see five years from now is if we haven't fixed it, a lot of us will still be at it, trying to trying to make the impact. <laughs> when we might might have thought we'd be done, we won't be. So we'll that still gives us hope. Uh, thank you so much, Stuart, for joining us. I'm sure we have a lot to learn in the realms of power of digital transformation. Uh, thank you for thank listening. You. This is Look forward to seeing your next episode. Take care. Mm-hmm.